Your daily dose of debate, breaking news, and uncensored views. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. A great day when the breaking news is that Trump takes the Fifth Amendment. No, it's a big deal. It's today. It's uh, Wednesday. And by the way, this has nothing to do except for the fact that it's all Trump, 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 Trump. This has nothing to do with the search at Mar-a-Lago or the dispute about papers and records and breaking the presidential, allegedly, uh, Records Act from uh, 1978. That was a leftover from the Nixon administration, the Watergate scandal. No, no, that's a different story, which is provoking all kinds of calls for civil war, for dismantling the FBI. It's a very serious matter. The, uh, the question right now has to do with that civil suit in uh, New York City, and uh, it's actually the state of New York. Uh, the uh, New York Times headline is Trump declines to answer questions in New York deposition invoking his right against self-incrimination. Donald J. Trump declined to answer questions from the New York State Attorney General's office today, a surprising gamble in a high-stakes legal interview that will likely determine the course of a civil investigation into his company's business practices. Uh, the allegation basically is this against uh, Trump, and this has to do with before he was elected president. And they are pursuing it right now, I believe, because they have a statute of limitations uh, kind of issue that they are dealing with. In any event, shortly after questioning... the Fifth Amendment. Since uh, March 2019, the Attorney General of New York State, uh, Letitia James, uh, has investigated whether Mr. Trump and his company improperly inflated the value of his hotels, golf clubs, and other assets. Mr. Trump has long dismissed the inquiry from Ms. James, a Democrat, as a partisan witch hunt. In his statement today, he cast it as part of a grander conspiracy against him, linking it to the FBI search at Mar-a-Lago, his home and private club in Palm Beach, Florida, which occurred on Monday. I once asked, he said in his statement, I once asked, if you're innocent, why are you taking the Fifth Amendment? Now I know the answer to that question, he said, that he was being targeted by lawyers, prosecutors, and the news media, and that left him with no choice. Uh, but there are other reasons, says the New York Times, that Mr. Trump may have decided not to answer questions. While Ms. James' inquiry is civil and she cannot file criminal charges against the former president, the Manhattan District Attorney's Office has been conducting a parallel criminal investigation into whether Mr. Trump uh, fraudulently inflated values of his properties 
any misstep from the former president in his deposition and the civil case could have breathed new life into that criminal case. And with a very likely criminal case brewing, which is what is behind this entire investigation that uh, reached its climax, at least so far, with the FBI coming to his home following a warrant and uh, going in and uh, recovering some material that uh, was missing, apparently, from uh, the National Archives, which were supposed to get the presidential material. They had already gotten 15 boxes of it. There was more left over at Mar-a-Lago. Why? Uh, what is what is going on here? And the one thing that is going on here, it seems to me, that is very much worth talking about is why it is that you have both parties now basically ignoring the fact that the uh, markets were having a very good day a moment ago, that inflation may be, may be just slowing down a bit, maybe even reversing uh, ignoring the fact that we have huge foreign policy problems with uh, uh, signs of potential war in Taiwan and, and uh, Ukraine now striking back at uh, the Crimea and uh, the war getting more intense and serious in Europe. With all of that going on, what are we talking about? We're talking about a bunch of papers and uh, Donald Trump and why? And And the answer is... Because that's the way Trump likes it. He he wants to be the center of attention. He wants every discussion to be about him. And guess what? He's not the only one. Because that's what the Democrats want, too. You see, this is a very, very weird thing. And I just figured it out. It was like a little light bulb went off over my head. And referring to myself as part of a cartoon... Uh, the light bulb went off that said, this is exactly what the Democrats want. They want us to talk about Trump all the time because they assume that's the only way they're going to win. And that's why they gave all that money, literally millions of dollars, to support Trumpy candidates who are very, very likely to lose their races. For instance... There was just, we'll get to it later in the show, but Darren Bailey, who is the Republican nominee for governor in Illinois, just said something incredibly outrageous and offensive that is going to hurt his campaign and embarrass Republicans. And yes, that's the kind of candidate who's all about Trump and all about the stop the steal and the rigged election and reinstating Trump. Basically, this is something the Democrats love. Uh, do you think the Democrats love it? Uh, do you think Republicans love it? Well, maybe some Republicans do. When you have uh, Paul Gosar, who's a member of Congress from Arizona, very, very big fan of President Trump, who says, um, and this is a tweet, I will support a complete dismantling and elimination of the Democrat brown shirts known as the FBI. This is too much for our republic to withstand. We should eliminate the FBI? Uh, you don't think the FBI plays a useful role in, well, for instance, uh, people like Timothy McVeigh, 
people who bombed and and murdered their fellow Americans, d domestic terrorists. You don't think there's a role to play for the FBI? It's better to dismantle it? Uh, Anthony Sabatini is a Florida state representative. He's running for Congress right now, a Republican. He was uh, prepared to dismantle a whole federal structure. Quote, he says, it's time for us in the Florida legislature to call an emergency legislative session and amend our laws regarding federal agencies. Sever all ties with the Department of Justice immediately. Any FBI agent conducting law enforcement functions outside the purview of our state should be arrested upon sight. In other words, to have the authorities in Florida arrest people who are doing their job from the FBI functioning in Florida? Really? Is this, is this what happened to the Law & Order Party? I thought that was one of the reasons that you wanted to vote Republican, right? Uh, we will uh, continue the conversation about this and other American institutions. One American institution, maybe the most important of them all, our military is hurting because they can't recruit enough people. Why not? And what can be done about it? We'll continue that conversation with Mackenzie Eglin of the AEI coming up in a while. Medved show. Uh, there is a military crisis facing this country. We're going to be talking about it coming up with uh, Mackenzie Eglin of American Enterprise Institute. The crisis has to do with how do you recruit people for the armed services when there are so many people in America who uh, are ineligible for various reasons for um, military service. Over in Russia, they're trying to make up for not having enough uh, personnel to uh, staff their army by hiring uh, convicts, uh, getting them out of jail, working with them through the Wagner Group, and putting them on the line as mercenaries in Ukraine. No, I don't think that's an alternative for the United States. Uh, we're talking a little bit about just some of the the legal background that is a, a deeply confusing to everybody and it's it's tearing the country apart actually because people don't understand what's going on and at the the idea of what's going on has to do with uh something called the presidential records act which uh came into existence in uh, way back in 1978 so it's been around for a long time this is not a new law it wasn't aimed at Trump it was actually aimed at Nixon and uh, the New York Times reports that former president Richard M Nixon spent nearly four years after Watergate fighting for control over millions of pages of presidential records and hundreds of hours of the audio tapes 
that he had uh, conducted secretly in the White House uh, that helped force his resignation in the first place. Historian Michael Beschloss said that uh, Nixon initially reached a deal with President Gerald Ford that would have given him control over the papers as well as the ability to destroy them. But uh, an act passed by Congress after Nixon left office in August 1974 forced him to take his fight to court. He eventually lost in the Supreme Court 7-2. to in other words, the Supreme Court determined, and this is even before the Presidential Records Act, is that papers you generate as president while you are working in the White House, even tapes that you authorize in the White House, don't belong to you as president. They belong to the American people who are employing you and paying the bills for all of this. The uh, dispute led to the passage in 1978 of the Presidential Records Act, which for the first time made it clear and unequivocal that White House records are the property of the federal government, not the president who created them. Since then, presidents from both parties have haggled over how and when the archives may release those documents to the public. Uh, presidents and their aides have also been subjected to other laws concerning the handling of classified information. Over the years, a handful of top federal officials have been charged with illegally handling classified information. Now, I had forgotten about this one, but it's important to remember it. David Petraeus, um, one of the most celebrated and capable and, I believe, heroic generals in uh, the U.S. Army, who served as CIA director also under President uh, Obama, admitted in 2015 that he provided his highly classified journals to a woman he was romantically involved with, who was a fellow officer. He uh, pleaded guilty to one count of unauthorized removal and retention of classified material, a misdemeanor. And then there was a Sandy Berger, who uh, uh, actually was referred to by the late... Rush Limbaugh is Sandy Burglar, who was a former national security advisor for President Clinton. He had to pay a $50,000 fine after pleading guilty to removing classified documents from the National Archives in 2003 to prepare for his testimony to the 9-11 Commission. He didn't give the classified documents, he just took them out of his office and he wasn't authorized to do that. He actually took them out of the library at the National Archives where he had access to them, but he wasn't allowed to just take them home and disappear with them. And this, of course, is background for what is going on here with uh, this incredibly vitriolic, bitter, climactic dispute involving President Trump. Uh, Mr. Trump... And again, this is background from the New York Times. Left the White House on the morning of January 20th, just hours before President Biden took the oath of office and was inaugurated. Accounts of the former president's departure described a highly disorganized exit with slapdash packing, especially as aides had spent the weeks before focused on contesting the results of the 2020 election and preparing for Mr. Trump's defense in the second impeachment trial that was held in February. 
The National Archives said it received a collection of documents from the White House at the end of the administration. It later said that many had been torn up and taped back together and that others were handled over in scraps that officials had never reconstructed. So it was later revealed that in mid-January, this is while Trump was still president, the National Archives had suggested in uh, retrieving 15 boxes of materials taken from the White House at the end of Mr. Trump's term and stored at Mar-a-Lago that uh, Mr. Trump's private club and residence in Palm Beach. The agency said it had negotiated with Mr. Trump's lawyers throughout 2021 to have the materials returned. They were materials that were not supposed to have gone to Mar-a-Lago. Everybody agrees with that, by the way, including the Trump team. The boxes included a number of personal letters and gifts Mr. Trump had received, including correspondence with Kim Jong-un and a congratulatory letter that former President Barack Obama had left for Mr. Trump. That's part of that tradition where the outgoing president leaves a note wishing prayers and success for his successor. Obama did that with uh, Donald Trump. These records should have been transferred to the National Archives from the White House at the end of the Trump administration. In January 2021, the National Archives said in a statement. And then what all of this has led to has been a process of negotiation where they've even had representatives from the National Archive who have flown to Florida, met with people on the Trump team, and gotten agreements about getting all this material back. Problem is, apparently, at least according to the supposition here, it hadn't all gone back. So what happens now? What happens now with America's military? That is a crucial issue. We will be talking about that with Mackenzie Eaglin, a senior fellow at American Enterprise Institute specializing on defense strategy. We will be right back. to all of the other national security threats, we are facing a devastating shortfall in terms of recruits for the military. Uh, how do you solve the problem? Somebody who's thought about it and studied it and written about it, uh, very persuasively, I might add, is Mackenzie Eaglin, who is a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, where she works on defense strategy, defense budgets, and military readiness. Military readiness, yes, that means uh, recruiting. She's also a regular guest lecturer at universities and a member of the Board of Advisors of the Alexander Hamilton Society. Um, Mackenzie, it's great to uh, have the chance to speak to you. And uh, first of all, I think what is characteristic of your approach is that there's no one sweeping reform that is going to correct this problem. It's a, a series of uh, smaller issues. For instance, according to uh, your work, you 11% uh, of potential recruits are now disqualified from uh, serving for being overweight. Uh, what do we do? 
about that problem. Thanks for having me. I, first of all, to recognize what you just said, that this is a full-blown crisis. And so the fiscal year ends in about eight weeks, and we're going to have undermanned, understrength units, which basically is project, you know, that's a problem for those who are in uniform. They have to cover the work that won't be provided by new recruits. But it's also because it signals and conveys actual weakness at a time when I would argue, you know, that's not what we want to do relative to China, among others. So how do you address it? Well, the first issue is to realize that this will not get fixed in this fiscal year or even the next one, right? So these are longer-term trends that have been underway for decades, and they've only COVID just sort of threw everything into overdrive and accelerated the rate at which the trends were, were moving in the wrong direction. And so basically the Defense Department has to be more innovative, be more creative in their solutions. They're going to have to start earlier to prepare and um, help create qualified youth that are willing to serve. Because it's not just who's eligible, but it's also do they want to do it? Do they have any interest in doing it? Unfortunately, both numbers are low. And they're going to need partnerships with the legislative branch, even with private industry, because everybody's facing a labor shortage across America. But in this in this case, you know, the organization uh, charged with deterring bad things from happening. And if they do happen to, to win, to win that conflict, it's a unique case, uh, obviously more important than than getting, uh, you know, the Starbucks state, keeping it adequately staffed. So th- this is just sort of the skimming the surface there's so much more i mean we could fill the room and 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 a full day's worth to talk about the different solution sets but that's some of them well again i I was asking about particularly the overweight issue right now uh for say a typical male male recruit who may be five nine five ten uh how heavy would you have to be to be disqualified well, so it's basically the just looking at net uh, population of that age group as a whole. It's you know we're getting close to eighty percent are disqualified. So the three biggest factors: obesity is one, but it's also drug use and criminal behavior or arrest. So uh, addressing the obesity challenge, you know, so the army is trying to be you know thinking on the fly. They've stood up this like special center at a certain army post where they are giving recruits time uh, after signing up to then meet the standards. They're also doing something similar for academic standards for those who can't pass certain tests to get in. Uh, Now, there's some debate about whether this is the right approach, meaning do you bring them on and then hope that it works or, you know, bring them onto the government roster and then hope that it works or, you know, take that risk or do you try and preempt it and do it ahead of time before they sign on the dotted line? I don't it's a work in progress that's underway, which is why I'm saying this is like a triage, a Band-Aid for the moment over the longer term. Uh, you know, more comprehensive solutions are required. So COVID, obviously, you know, we all, I don't want to get political about anything, but, you know, the, it's not just the learning loss, but the, the sedentary lifestyle of lockdowns literally, uh, also did not help. And so there's a, we could go in a bunch of different directions here, but it's definitely a partnership that's going to be required. It's it's a problem bigger than the Defense Department. So when you say you were talking before about working jointly with corporations, are you talking about setting up uh, the kind of uh, situation where corporations would 
uh, turn a prospective employee over to the Army for a couple of years to help get training, making him a more valuable employee, that kind of thing? That is one approach, and some of the services do that, you know, where you, you can sort of be in and out of uniform. You have, like, this rucksack of benefits, and so you can sort of float between active duty, reserves, or private industry status. And and that that actually is great, uh, allowing older recruits to sign up, right, uh, at, at older ages for the first time would be another way. Uh, time in industry just in general is always – it tends to be really good. But I'm actually thinking even more broadly. I'm thinking – well, one, just making the Defense Department competitive, right, that, an attractive place to work. I, I mean, one senior defense official said, you know, potential recruits think they're going to be physically or emotionally broken after serving. Well, that's not great if it's true. I mean, I don't know if he has data to back that up. But, um, you know, making it an attractive place to to work, talking about the benefits of military service, talking about um, how, you know, it's something, it's a shared interest. And then, you know, really the bottom line is it's, it's the fastest and most secure way to the middle class for most of America, and they will stay there. So, you know, so the partnership is more about putting the two, you know, private industry and government service on a more equal footing, but also recognizing that the same problems that the military is facing recruiting, in, like the same company that I visit that, you know, equip the warfighters like shipyards, they're struggling to hire, you know, welders and solderers and apprentices. So this is like, that's what I'm saying is if we recognize it's a shared problem and more, you know, there can be more solutions. I mean, they all have to be tailored, of course, to, to different regions and places. But I think that it's, like I said, it's bigger than one organization, even though the military is the largest bureaucracy on the planet. <laughs> I, I, you do say that uh, during the pandemic, the vaccine mandates were very negative in terms of their impact on recruiting. Uh, how many troops did potential troops did we lose uh, and people actually discharged from the army because they wouldn't get vaccinated? Yes. Yes. It's what's remarkable isn't just the loss of um, service members due to the vaccine, but it was also at the same time that uh, service members are being forcibly discharged, which also costs the government money to do that, then the services turn around and they're offering, I mean, eye-popping, record-breaking numbers to recruit new enlistees. You know, when you have a you recruiting mean crisis... Yes, sorry, bonuses. When you have a recruiting crisis, you know, you need to ensure your retention doesn't also fall the people that you already have. And so it didn't make any sense to let there be a retention problem while you have a recruiting problem. I mean, it's just really bizarre. So, um, yes, tens of thousands of people have been let go. And now it's different by service and it's different by um, component, you know, active versus guard versus reserve. Uh, but it's it's pretty shocking. So it, it's shocking insofar as that it was also avoidable. Not only were there tens of thousands of forcibly separated uh, service members, then the numbers of requests for exemptions for the mandate for those in uniform, the number, I mean, it's, it, there's barely any approved, and this is across services, you know, uh, across the branches of the armed forces. And so it's a double whammy. They, they could have done better on both fronts. And Mackenzie Eaglin has written about this problem. Uh, some of it posted at michaelmedved.com. 
I know you have to go. I appreciate your background and your perspective, and thank you for joining us on the show. When we come back, what does uh, Trump say? What did Trump say about that idea of taking the Fifth Amendment? We'll get to that and more coming up on the MedVet Show. Michael Medved show uh, talking about the recruitment of uh, new soldiers for the U.S. Army and so many factors creating what is a, a big crisis at a time when and, and again, it is a remarkable moment in the United States for all of our economic difficulties and challenges, uh, partially because of the new numbers on inflation would show that the inflation rate was down uh, in terms of what it had been. That's moving in the right direction. Uh, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is about to close 521 points up. That's positive news. But uh, what it also means is that we have very low unemployment. It's 3.5%. And we have a labor shortage. And it's not just, as Mackenzie Eaglin was saying, it's not just the military. It's recruiting people for any jobs. Right now, for people looking for a career, looking for a new job, there are lots of companies, there are lots of opportunities that are out there. This is the uh, latest recruitment ad that highlights the concept of leadership in trying to appeal to young people to enroll in our military. Uh, this clip 12. What do you expect from that first job out of college? Working your way up from the bottom? Wondering when you'll get any real responsibilities? Instead, how does this sound? Starting in a guaranteed leadership position with people who look to you for guidance because you're trained to give it and make important decisions in critical situations. Skip entry level. Decide to lead as an Army officer. Okay, decide to lead as an Army officer. And again, appealing directly to college graduates. Uh, and... Uh, why? Well, because college graduates are very much needed in the military. They have another ad that uh, emphasizes the fact that people who know the Army know that uh, a tremendous amount of responsibility falls on junior officers, on second lieutenants, uh, people who are just enrolled and can start in a leadership position, uh, which, uh, again was part of the whole idea of ROTC. Uh, ROTC, which was so much opposed by the left back in the era of the Vietnam War. Uh, ROTC was the idea that you could actually get a um, uh, financial help in terms of paying for college if during that college you went through uh, some classes in training that allowed you to graduate as an army officer. And that is a program that also needs reinvigoration. We talked today about President Trump this morning, and this involves 
not the same issue as the Mar-a-Lago visit by the FBI. It's, uh, it, it involves an ongoing case that goes back to 2019 about some business practices by the Trump organization, by his private business, that involved deceiving banks by fraudulently uh, inflating the value of some of his properties, uh, not so that he would pay more taxes, because there were also very clever and, and well-done efforts to minimize taxes. Uh, well-done, I don't mean that in an uh, ethical sense. I mean that in, in an effective sense. Uh, President Trump was, and he's proud of this, uh, managed to minimize his tax burden very effectively. And uh, we also took a very different approach than what he took today, because today in that civil case in New York that is being pursued by the Attorney General of New York, Letitia James, uh, President Trump has announced that unlike some of his children, not all of them, he wouldn't answer questions. He was going to take the Fifth Amendment. In the past, he uh, has spoken frequently about uh, people who take the Fifth Amendment. And the president, who's decided to take that route today, has said all of this. Listen. The mob takes the Fifth. If you're innocent, why are you taking the Fifth Amendment? When you have your staff taking the Fifth Amendment, taking the Fifth so they're not prosecuted, when you have the man that set up the illegal server taking the Fifth, I think it's disgraceful. Have you seen what's going on in front of Congress? Fifth Amendment, Fifth Amendment, Fifth Amendment. Horrible. Horrible. Okay, uh, I think there's a different uh, tone today. And there is also this, and it's just astonishing. Uh, the Miami Herald uh, brought up a... Um, a fundraising letter that went out on yesterday morning. And this was when President Trump was still first reacting to the um, Mar-a-Lago visit by the FBI. And the fundraising letter that went out across the country said, and it was signed by Donald J. Trump, it said, I need every single red-blooded American patriot to step up during this time. Please rush in a donation immediately to publicly stand with me against this never-ending witch hunt. The uh, former president is still a force in Republican politics with his endorsement boosting GOP candidates as it did last night when GOP candidates uh, in primaries such as Wisconsin who were endorsed by Trump, did very well. They won. He also has hinted about a third presidential run, adds the Miami Herald. He goes on in the fundraising letter. I stood up to the radical left's corruption. I restored power to the people and truly delivered for our country like we have never seen before. The establishment hated it. Now, as they watch my endorsed candidates win big victories and see my dominance in all polls, they are trying to stop the Republican Party and me once more. The lawlessness 
political persecution and witch hunt must be exposed and stopped. As long as I have your support, I will continue to fight for the great American people. I need every single red-blooded American patriot to step up during this time. Please rush in a donation immediately, immediately all in capitals, to publicly stand with me against this never-ending witch hunt. At least as far as I can gather, this letter is asking for donations without making uh, terribly clear what the donations are for. Is this to pay legal bills? As long as Trump is not a candidate and uh, before he announces his candidacy for the presidency in 2024, the uh, Republican National Committee is paying a lot of those legal bills. And it's a a lot of money. And um, again, all of this and the people running and rushing to support and endorse President Trump and his struggle with the National Archives over the location of certain papers, we don't even know what those papers are. We don't even know why President Trump decided to keep them, why he thought it would be legal for him to keep them. Why is this entire fight necessary? Does it reflect well on the FBI? I don't think the handling does. Uh, there was a, um, a editorial today in Wall Street Journal that questioned the timing and the handling. Part of the idea of the timing, by the way, there is a rule that the FBI now follows, which is that uh, they are going to avoid politically sensitive actions, uh, law enforcement actions, within 90 days of a major election. So the uh, FBI visit to Mar-a-Lago is 92 days before the election coming up in November. Uh, that's how close we are. Will Will people actually vote based upon the the idea that uh, they believe that President Trump is being uh, persecuted, being subjected to a, a witch hunt. Uh, and uh, the Washington Post says that officials became suspicious that when Trump gave back items to the National Archives about seven months ago, Either the former president or people close to him held on to key records. Despite a Justice Department investigation into the handling of 15 boxes of materials, will we ever find out what's in those materials? I think the people of America and the nation at large deserve to know in this greatest nation on God's green earth.